Warning, this podcast has stories of real-life events and true crime that happens every day. These stories may contain adult language and graphic or disturbing details not suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. In our society, most people are content to go through their daily lives safely and peacefully. But our society is not always safe or peaceful. For that reason... Some men and women answer a higher calling to defend and protect their fellow man. You probably know someone who is one of these people, or maybe you are one of these people. The ones who see and do the things most people would never want to. These things are sometimes heroic and beautiful, but often they are horrific and terrifying. It's these things they don't share about with other people. It's these things they carry with them, so you don't have to. But when they get together, they talk to each other about them. And they call these stories War Stories. Welcome to another episode of War Stories. I'm Tom. And I'm Chuck. Hey, Chuck. Is that a Watch Three Apparel shirt, I think? It is. Man, I love Watch Three Apparel, not just because it's comfortable and not just because they do all of our shirts, but because everything they do is designed from the perspective of a street cop born and raised in L.A. Exactly. And it exemplifies their life experiences. So go to watch3apparel.com, put the code in war stories to get yourself a discount on some of their gear, help support them and help support us at war stories. And we're uh, back for another episode and I'm, I'm looking forward to these. You know, we've had, we, we get um, some old school episodes. We get young guys, we get guys that are currently in law enforcement, but I personally love the old school episodes. Um, and in fact, I'm part of a vintage LAPD group and I posted a picture. You'll never believe this, Chuck. I walk into my daughter's room. My daughter's 20. I walk into her room and she's wearing a, an old powder blue t-shirt from an LAPD like charity marathon relay race from 1986. <laughs> and I you get that. So I rem- I recognize the t-shirt. I'm like, that was my father's t-shirt that my mother used to wear when he was at work. That then apparently my wife stole from my mother when my mother didn't fit it anymore. And now my daughter has stolen it from my wife and wears it to bed as her like comfy shirt. And it just, it's here's this LAPD shirt that's probably 35 years old and it's a family heirloom. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. That's great. I love the old school stuff. And, and, uh, we've got, uh, Probably uh, author and old school copper. One, one guest that I probably am looking forward to most is Danny Smith. How are you, sir? I'm good. Thank you. Good, good to be on here, man. I appreciate you guys having me. Oh yeah. Great to have you. We happy to. And uh, so you uh, just, just tell the audience a little bit about yourself. You're, I know you wrote a book and you're retired law enforcement, Uh, just kind of how you came into law enforcement and what you've been doing since, uh, as my father puts it, recovering from law enforcement. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, you know, uh, um, I actually, I've been retired for 18 years. I, I hired on in 83, I did 21 years, um, and that was as far as I could make it. And, uh, you know, in, in my in the book that I wrote, I, I talk about that. I left with PTSD, and I was a pretty broken man. And it's taken me this long to write that book, and I, and I hope all the cops read it because, you know, one of the things I talk about in there is that, that a lot of cops, uh, they're hurting. You know, they, they crawl into bottles. They, they do stupid shit. I've had several friends kill themselves. And as you guys know, we have more... Uh, uh, law enforcement suicides that we have line of duty deaths every year. Yeah, so every year, anyway, I don't yeah. want to get too far off on that, but, but the no, point but... is, you know, that, uh, I, I've been gone for a while 
um, I, I actually didn't grow up wanting to be a cop necessarily. You know, I mean, I played cops when I was a little kid and stuff. But <laughs> but ultimately, when I got out of, out of school, out of high school, and, you know, did the go to the local community college, which was a joke because I hated school, absolutely hated going to school. But um, I get a job doing security work. And um, my two bosses were retired LAPD guys. And man, I just love these guys. They were they were like men's men, and everything about them, you know, the way they the, the way they talked to people, the way they joked about shit, they'd tell their war stories to each other, or right. you know, get to reminiscing. And I'm sitting there eating this up, and uh, and I'm like, I like these guys, man. This is what I want to do. I want to be a cop. And so they kind of became mentors. And uh, interestingly, both of them told me to go with the sheriffs and not LAPD. Um, saying you know LAPD's hmm. best days are behind. <laughs> yeah, best days are behind. That was in the and that was in the eighties. Yeah, it was in the eighties. Yeah, that was in the. That 80s. was when was no matter 80s. what the sheriff's uh, department did to screw the pooch, LAPD would always do something a month later to screw it even bigger. <laughs> well, and and back oh. then, you know, the sheriff didn't take any shit. So, oh, Sherman you Block know, was dude. He was a. Well, we were coming off the pitches era, and, and pitches had all the politicians and all the newspaper people. He had everyone dirty. Like there was actually a, yeah. a unit. That that basically just had everyone dirty. It was the closest thing to organized crime you'd want in law enforcement, <laughs> certainly. But I mean, people didn't mess with him. Pitches was not to be messed with. And then Block came in behind him, and and he certainly changed that quite a bit, and and probably for the better. But still, the sheriff, he had a lot of power. You know, he's an elected official. He's not appointed by a mayor. And, um, and, you know, he, he answers mm-hmm. to the board of supervisors and right now our current sheriff is battling with them nonstop, but, but it's still a different position than, than being a, a mayor or being a, right. You can't fire him. No, no, you can't fire no, him. No. You can, you, you have to indict miserable. or impeach. Yeah. yeah. But you can yeah. fire a chief. Oh boy. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know why the mayor just doesn't become the chief of police because nothing That's how they run really it. comes from the chief it comes straight from the mayor and the chief yeah. just disseminates the information mm-hmm. yeah yeah That's so anyway they told me the chiefs lost their civil service protection but yeah so they told me about politics. the sheriff's department and uh and i processed with the sheriff's department i processed uh, with lapd as a backup i waited three months and applied to them they actually went faster and they were about ready to hire me and i i went down to the sheriff's department knocked on the door and said hey i want to work here and you know you guys are kind of lollygagging and they uh, they put my case up front. I got hired pretty quickly after that, and I had a great career. I, I spent a couple of years in the jail, which back in those days that was standard, and um, right about two and a half years. Um, and then I, I went to patrol in Firestone Station, which is South LA, and I was there through the. Uh, I got there in '86 and stayed there. Made detectives in '91 at Firestone. Stayed there till they closed the doors in '94 opened up Century Station, and in 96, I, I went to, I, I got really lucky. I promoted to Detective Division, Special Investigations Bureau, Metro Detail, and worked there for a year. It was kind of already lined up that Homicide was going to take me in one year, so it, they kind of wow. bro- brokered a deal, and, and that's where I ultimately, that was my goal, to get to Homicide, and I did in 97. So that's, retired a, that's out, a retired out of great place to end up, man. The sheriff's department's homicide unit is one of the best in the world. So, yeah, it is. It and, is. and, and, you know, it's a, it's a hardcore place to work. You know, at the time I, I, we're, I think we're averaging 350, 400 murders a year. And, uh, 
we have a you know it's a centralized bureau six teams of uh, eight to twelve investigators per team and uh, and you get a lot of experience there there were guys that I worked with there who had already been there 20 years and and you know had a, a thousand murders under their belt so wow you know, it's 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 very very hard to not shine at a place like that i mean i'm not yeah. i'm not that bright of a guy but man you're just surrounded by these these guys had so much experience and everything it was hard not to be good at your job and and they I mean, frank and gill <laughs> yeah you frank know. and gill you know and and they're uh, the i mean i know they're the famous ones but still like yeah. they're good cops they're good police and you worked with them correct yeah i didn't work with frank frank was gone before i left and um frank salerno is is who you're obviously referring to yeah yeah. His son was there. Sorry, a little inside baseball we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Frank Salerno, Frank, the guy, Frank, he's a very famous detective. He's a legend. Uh, he, he and Gil are, are perhaps most famous, of course, for the Night Stalker case. Uh, right. Frank was gone before I got there. Um, I've met him. I know him. His son came there about, I think, a year or two after I got there. So I worked with his son for, for quite a few years. He's a great Oh, guy. wow, legacy. Okay. We, yeah, and and he's he's a class act, great guy. We were never partners, never even on the same team, but he's just a good good guy. Um, Gil Gil was there. No, Gil was gone when I got there. He came back as a lieutenant, but I knew Gil from years. Everyone knew Gil. And, yeah. Um, and and he's a great guy. In fact, I I was fortunate. I, I go back. I told you I'm in Idaho now, and I was down in uh, California in down in Los Angeles and I think it was in November promoting my recent book and uh and going to a couple of little reunions anyways and I, I wanted to get together with the guys from Homicide they were gonna have a meet it just didn't work out but Gil called me and said where are you and gave me coordinates to a place I'd never been and we met there and had some drinks for a few hours and, and a little choir practice a, for old yeah, time's sake. <laughs> yeah it was it was good it was good bullshitting nice. with Gil so nice but and, and to answer your question about the book, so when I left there, I, I mean, I had never planned to write a book because, as any cop knows, you know, if you you reflect back and think, God damn, if I was going to write a book, I would have kept a journal every day. Right. You know, I can remember right. the yeah. best of days, the worst of days, some of the funniest shit, but the everyday minutia. You know, I mean, if you had kept track of all those little things, um, I mean, it'd be hilarious. And in fact, oh, my worst God, story, a daily that, journal. Yeah, and you know, in fact, my worst story that I'm going to tell you later on, you guys are going to think, Jesus Christ, that didn't make it in the memoir. I didn't even think about it till after the memoir is published. I'm like, I can't believe I didn't tell that story. So I'm going to tell it to these guys. Right. But yeah. uh, you know what ends up happening is we we've done this show long enough to where we've seen what happens is that people go, I don't have any stories, and I'm like, just come on, we'll we'll, we'll chat. Yeah. And they come on, and all of a sudden, they're like, oh, that reminds me. And it, as you just start going, this stuff just starts coming back. And if if you had a journal, you could refer to that, but you know, memory has to be stimulated by something, either a journal or sitting around having a drink with your buddies. I was going to say, you know, get together with other cops, you just start bullshitting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of that has to do with a lot of the stuff that we see. It's a natural reaction for the body to, uh, to suppress uh, memories and yeah. things like that. And it, it doesn't your body doesn't have a code of I'm going to suppress these select memories because they're bad. It's just like from a time frame, memories start getting suppressed and you just deal with so much stuff especially working in major metropolitan areas, major counties and things like that. You come in contact with so many crazy things. And the funny thing is, is that me and my buddies were, were joking. I was joking one day and I was like, man, if we could just have a reality show, 
you know, and they just followed us around, not like cops, but like inside <laughs> shit, right? Like, like the day to day stuff that the, the, the razzing in the station, yeah. the funny shit you see in your car. It's because nobody wants like, to watch two and a half hours of filling out DUI paperwork. <laughs> well, no, you know, I mean, transients doing crazy shit. Like you're just sitting out in a patrol. Yeah. No, the crazy right. things you come up with in the car, the crazy transit you see break dancing in the middle of the intersection. Yeah. And people look at yeah. you like, Hey, do something. And you're like, well, you know, right. check you know? Chuck, I'll give you one, and and I just thought of this, you know, not long ago, and and it's not in my book or anything, but we were my partner and I were uh, down in Compton doing a surveillance, and and we're target specific, and it's it's kind of a deal where, you know, we're just waiting for this guy to move, and we're sitting there, and it's hard for a couple of white guys to fit in anyway, so we're just we're a long ways away, and we're looking through glass. Everyone knows we're cops, but. Mm. Uh, <laughs> we're sitting there and this this lady walks by and she's and it's it's two o'clock in the afternoon and she's in her muumu and her slippers and she's got her hair in cur and curlers yeah and and she walks down the down the block and into the liquor store and then pretty soon she comes back and she's got a bag that's obviously you know a, a full of liquor and her cigarettes and she <laughs> walks back by and into the pad and and so this is five, 10 minutes of time. Now, neither of us said anything to each other during all of this. And about 10 minutes later, finally, my partner looks over. He goes, do you realize how fucked up we are? <laughs> and I, I, I started laughing because most people would, would look at, at, that, at that lady right there and think that was odd. But we've been down here too long, you know? And it's true. Right. It's like, you know, it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And here's this lady in her, her freaking robe and her pajamas. And she's buying her liquor and getting back to the couch and... <laughs> We thought nothing of it. Longtime listeners of this podcast will right. know the joke about the flaming donkey where one of our one of our Marines came on to talk about the invasion of Iraq and said, you know, yeah, then there was, you know, just this this guy was had a cart with a donkey pulling it and the donkey was on fire and it was just like, Oh, hey, look, the donkey's on fire. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's the absurdity of the things that become normal. Yeah. Yeah. Donkey I always, I, I always <laughs> yeah. loved driving into work and uh, I take a couple different routes into work and I would drive into work and you'd see these crazy fucking people on the side of the road doing some crazy shit. And you're like, you're seeing dope, you're seeing them tag. And then you get in your uniform and you go through your roll call and you're about an hour later and you're like, I'm going to go back to that same spot. And these fucking people are still there. And you're like, mm, money, <laughs> yeah. you're mine. Exactly. You know, it's just, it was funny. No, but well, I, I, I'm if if your main story is anything close to your little quick story, you just I'm 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 can't wait. So you have you have the mic. What is your story? Oh, okay. All right. So to set the scene, um, again, it's it's late '80s. It may have been '90, 90, '91, but I, I'm pretty sure it was like '89, somewhere in there. I'm working with a guy. His name's Daryl Griffith. Uh, I'm going to just put that out there. He doesn't care. I don't think, but, <laughs> but, but, uh, I used to call him the Ninja Hillbilly. Now, now Griff is, <laughs> you know, we call him short Griff, but he was a great guy and a great partner. And, uh, and, and he is this big kind of a redneck guy. You know, that's why we called him a hillbilly. And the dude used to kickbox. And if you looked at him, you wouldn't expect him to be a, a kickboxer. I mean, he's just a big guy. But he used to actually kickbox and, and do the actual fighting and stuff. And this is long before, you know, the MMA was so popular. So all of us were like, holy sure. shit, man, this guy's a badass. So we call him the Ninja Hillbilly. And uh, he was a great partner and a good dude. And 
I, I don't know if if you guys ever use the the term the the arrest gods. Have you ever talked about <laughs> making sacrifices to the arrest gods? We we would say yeah. the police gods, but yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> so same concept, police gods. So yeah. so down <laughs> back in back in the eighties and nineties, and probably still now. I mean, it, it it wasn't that hard to make an arrest down in Firestone, down in South L.A. and right. um, and it also wasn't unusual to hear gunfire. Um, in fact, it was unusual to see gunfire. Most guys that worked there any length of time at all have been in shootings and had, had witnessed shootings and, and roll around the corner and people are shooting each other and seeing yeah, it's a war zone in the 80s. Yeah. So so all of that's going on a lot. But there were still nights where nothing would happen. And and we were all predators. We were hunters, you know. Right. And that's what we got off on, right? I mean, every night mm-hmm. you went 10-8 and, and you were looking for bad guys, man. Yeah. So, it was a, a just a weird night that that uh, was quiet, and we were rolling around. Me and me and the hillbilly were rolling around and uh, shook a few things. Just couldn't get anything. So the the legend was that hey, sometimes you got to make a sacrifice to the arrest gods. You know, just take some chicken shit misdemeanor. You know, hook them up, take them in, book them. You know, because we didn't we didn't go out of our way to look for misdemeanors because he's usually too sure. busy there to do that. But, right. you know, hey, it's this slow, freaking take a hype to jail, you know, even a drunk driver. I mean, something, get get a misdemeanor arrest and and try to appease the arrest gods. Right. right? And then they will, they will, you know, rain on you felonies. You know, you'll have, <laughs> you'll, you'll, yeah. be, you'll be hooking and booking in no time. Right. So it's, it's, we're working uh, early morning shift or the grave. Sacrificing shift. a donut. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, and and it's it's like two or three in the morning, right? And um and, and we're on Central Avenue and we're driving up the street and here's these frickin' these these male Hispanics that are going up the road. There's three of them in the car and they are all over the road. I mean like these guys couldn't drive a straight line to save their lives. Or well the driver couldn't and the two guys with him ended up they they were just as drunk as, as he was. But I mean, it was the most obvious drunk in the world, and and he's just all over the place. And I said, "Well, this is as good a time as any to to appease the rest gods because this guy, we can't let him go down the road. He's going to kill somebody." So we light him up. He turns off of Central Avenue, and there's alleys that the whole the whole place is full of alleys down there, and uh, mm-hmm. and of course alleys down there are not great places to hang out, but. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we stalked them quite regularly, but, you know, alleys is where a lot of times you'd see people creeping around and trouble happening and so forth. And this guy turns right onto, I think it was 59th Street. We're just south of Slauson, kind of almost in the north end of our our area, just south of Newton Division. And uh, and, and he, they turn and they stop just past the alleyway. So we stop our vehicle and it is actually in the out it's like blocking the north south alley like like you could look out the driver's window and look north up the alley all the way to slauson sure. look south all the way down to you know whatever the next street was 60th or whatever and and we get out and we we walk up we contact the the occupants the driver's so drunk i mean he can't even talk and it's like this is no brainer the guy's going to jail so we get him out i get him i get the driver out i was driving that night and and I pat him down, I hook him up, and 
the other guy is getting out of the other side. Normally we wouldn't allow this, but these guys are so drunk. We know there's no way we're going to communicate to them. Hey, slide over, get out the driver's side. So Hillbilly, he just snatches the guy out of the, the, the passenger seat, puts him up against the car. He's patting him down. I'm walking back to the radio car, and all of a sudden, there's about 12 gunshots. Boom, 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 oh. boom, 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 boom. Oh, shit. And, and these are close. I mean, these are like, you can, you can hear the snaps going, going oh. across the tops of our mm. heads. Damn. Mm. So it's like, like we're being shot That's at, really close. you know, I mean, someone's, someone's firing rounds at right. us, you know, I mean, it, it, they weren't close enough. The, the shooter obviously wasn't close enough that, you know, it was, but, but they were sending rounds our way, kind of a, you know, Hey, right. You know, here one you could, go. one of them could be unlucky or lucky. Depending absolutely. On who, yeah. ap- perspective absolutely. Right. So, so Griff grabs his, his guy, throws him down the ground, hooks him up, grabs the other guy, hooks him up. And this is back, you know, we didn't have, handheld radios down there at the LA Sheriff's Department. You know, we were, <laughs> we were years behind other departments, but we didn't have handheld right. radios till I think, 90, I want to say, sometime in the 90s. But we didn't have handheld radios, so we're just, we're dealing with what we've got. We shove all these, we shove all these guys in the back seat, and we look up the alley, and there's this group of people standing in the alley. And it was the strangest thing ever, because it's like, they're just standing there, and we're thinking... Oh, maybe someone shot at them. I mean, most of them were looking in our direction, but they didn't appear excited. And there were some females, there were males and females. So we put out something on the radio. I don't, you know, remember, you know, hey, I uh, need, need a backup up here. There's shots fired. And, and we literally go trotting up the alley with our guns out. And we're yelling at these people, let's see your hands, see your hands, see your hands. And they're all hands up and, and they're very calm. I mean, it was a strange thing. So... We get there and, and we said, where'd the shots come from? And they're looking at each, each other and kind of like, eh, I don't know. And and someone turns and looks up the the alley and I follow, I think it was a, the female that did. I follow her gaze and I look up there and here's this 63 Impala lowrider backing out of a driveway. And this <laughs> looks like a gangster car, right? And there's yeah. three gangsters in the car. I mean, these guys are, you could, you could tell from there and I'm 50 yards from them, but you could tell these are gangsters, man. Dave's right. head, you know, r- riding low and they're in this, this gangster looking right and they're backing out. So we leave these guys and we go running up the alley and now we're pointing our guns at them. I mean, we're just pointing our guns at everyone. We're, you know, let's see your hands, let's see your hands. And we run up the alley and one of the backup units got there right as we were getting there. So they couldn't go anywhere and they stopped and they threw their hands up. So we're getting them out of the car and this old cholo and this guy was pretty cool but i mean this guy's like he was a cholo back you know in the day right he comes out of his apartment he's like what the fuck's going on out here hey dude <laughs> who's got my car so <laughs> oh. these guys these guys were stealing this guy's car <laughs> oh. at the same time all this other shit's going on and none of them have guns and we don't find any guns around there or shell casings anywhere. I mean, it's, it's like, this is the most bizarre thing ever. So, our so these, units these are three there. dudes just happened to Jack and OG Cholo's ride at the same time as two deputies are trying to jam a dude up while taking rounds. Correct. That's just piss poor fucking timing. <laughs> it, I mean, this is, what this is Firestone. Storm. You can't even make this shit up. I mean, right. in addition to my memoir, I've written seven novels. I get seven published novels and I'm like, I can't make shit up that good. You know, people say, hey, do you, you know, base some of your stuff in your books on, 
on things that have happened. I'm like, well, of course, because I'm not that creative. I mean, you right. can't make up things that are they're more interesting, more bizarre than what what cops see out there every day. You know, the old and we're cops. That, let's face it, we're not going to do the extra work to make up a story when we've got a <laughs> Right. I mean, we might embellish one. <laughs> right, sure. We know how to write a report, but God damn it. I'm not right. going to go invent a story when I've got a perfectly good one right here. <laughs> and the characters, same thing. I mean, you can't make yeah. up better characters than the idiots we work with, right? I mean, oh, God, no. everyone's right. nuts. So anyway, <laughs> we, the assisting unit detains these guys. And, and, and me and the hillbilly, we go walking back down the alley like, what the hell has just happened here? And and so now things are kind of calm. We got a lot of extra units there, and we go up. Now we can talk to to each of these people down the alley, and we're pulling them aside. And while we're pulling them aside, now we're looking around on the ground. Well, there's shell casings all over the place. They're so like, huh? Okay, wait a minute, man. Someone here is full of shit. Right. So right. you're That's yeah. We call we're a, pulling, clue. a clue. <laughs> so we're pulling, <laughs> we're pulling them aside one by one and searching them and doing the old thing. You know, put your hand on their heart and you know feel their chest. Right. And and no one's chest is bouncing out of their freaking shirt. You know, I mean, no one's scared to death, but yet here's these casings. And I mean, the shots definitely came from that direction. And I mean, the Cholos didn't do it, or at least, you know, unless they threw a gun over the fence. Finally, one of the females that was there, I've got her pulled to the side. And, and I told her, I said, look, you know, we're, we're just taking everyone to jail here, you know, and and she said she kind of shakes her head and then she's doing one of these kind of nodding. I know a lot of people listen and don't watch your podcast. Right, right. So, so she's kind of nodding and rolling her eyes in the direction of yeah. a house that set off of the alley. Like we're we're kind of at the back gate to access the backyard of a house that was on another street. And there's a detached garage. And I look over, and this detached garage has a door, and this door is partially open. <laughs> so, uh -huh. and that's not, I mean, and that's the truth. I didn't just make that up for the report. But literally, right. <laughs> we, go, <laughs> we go over there, and, uh, and, and the, we kind of push the door open a little bit, shine our light inside. And here's this dude on the couch who's acting like he's asleep. <laughs> and... And and I hit the light, and I could see that he's sweating. And he's got sweat all over his face. Like, get up! You know, hands up! Do all that, you know, yell at that magical police shit, right? Freeze, yeah, yeah. hands up. So we we grab this guy, and, and sure enough, there's a gun underneath the pillow where he's laying. And that gun happens to be the same caliber of gun that the casings are outside. And its, it's magazine is empty, and it smells like it is freshly fired so we start putting two and two together and for whatever reason this guy and he was he was freaking loaded but for whatever reason he decided hey there's the cops i'm going to shoot at him and he bails into this freaking backyard and into this <laughs> this garage and and, and was and it even his garage right yeah yeah he actually lived in this he that was his crash pad i mean it was oh, kind man. of a like there's this couch he slept on back there but you know and then and then these idiots I mean, I, they might have been the, the stupidest ones of the group because I don't know why they stayed there when someone just shot at the cops, right? I mean, right. we're right. running at them, pointing guns at them, and, and they know that someone just shot at us. I mean, there's a pretty good chance we're going to let some lead fly if they do anything wrong, you know? I mean, anything stupid at all, It's you've just been shot at. So anyway, so long story short, we had arrested a drunk driver, 
and offered that up to the uh, arrest gods. Yeah. Within two minutes of that happening, we have three cholos in custody for Grand Theft Auto. We've got a shooter in custody for... We charge, you know, of course, on the on the report, you know, we charge it with attempt murder. Ten point eight seven. The yeah. DA never, they never yeah. buy that shit. But no, no, but, they, it would. They, he probably got discharging in an at an inhabited dwelling or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Yeah, you're probably right. And and or knock you know, it down to eighty W on one. Yeah, one PO. It's right. just right. slap on the wrist, basically. I don't even think they did that, actually, Chuck. But it, and and. Also, the gun had uh, uh, serial number scraped off, so you got another felony there. And I think the guy, the guy was a convicted felon too. So I mean, you know, the first Jack three pages of my probation was, he just told him it was, an accident. was was listing all the all the crimes that we charged, you know. And now and now we've got five guys to book, so you know we're we're pretty. That's happy. your shift. We got a misdemeanor and four felons, <laughs> and uh, that's overtime. You know, uh, yep. Ever since then, I believed in the arrest gods. You, sometimes you had to make a sacrifice. Yeah, and if you make them angry, oh, yeah. you will know what happens. Yeah, don't you're gonna take off report the report call guys. after report call after report call yeah. after report call. It's yeah. like pissing off a uh, pissing off a dispatcher. Oh, <laughs> you piss mm. off the dispatcher, and you're like, oh shit. Next yeah. thing you know, your box is full. You clear a call, boom, another one. God, yeah, dude. like yeah. Assist like if PCS. cops have the arrest gods, <laughs> if cops have the arrest gods, dispatchers must have the arrest Virgin Mary that they can pray to because, holy crap, like. If you piss, I I did it once, and she got caught for it, and she got her ass reamed by the watch commander. But if you don't think the dispatchers will hose cops, they will. Oh, they will absolutely oh yes, hose will. you. And if they'll they know it's you on the, the radio, mm-hmm. oh yeah, send you no, all I... over. You'll be in the north. You'll be in the south, and you'll be in the fucking northeast and the southwest. And you're like, oh my god, what did I do? Yeah, and no, for you those want... of you from, oh go ahead. I was just going to say, you want to treat a dispatcher like you treat the person preparing your food. Yeah, you know? and probably yeah. better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. they have your life right there in their hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and if you're one of these uh, cops that works at a, at a department <laughs> like I did, where dispatch is in the same building as patrol, they had a dispatch. Stay away from those new dispatchers. It's nothing but trouble. Just, <laughs> just stay out of dispatch. Stay That's out, that, stay, stay out of dispatch. Stay out that of dispatch. goes back to don't shit in your own kitchen, pal. Yep. Don't dip yes. your pen in the company ink. Yep. <laughs> don't like. Yeah. Don't shit where mm-hmm. you eat. Don't. Yeah. Don't do shit it. where you eat. Mm-mm. Exactly. The funny thing is, is that back in the day when you were, like, way back in the day when you were on. Patrol, hey, 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 hey! <laughs> oh, wow, shots it's fired. It's different. Dinosaur. Different policing now, though. It's crazy. Oh. Um, basics of police work are still the same, but the the whole thing of you know, appeasing the, you know, patrol gods, the, the, the police gods, the arrest gods, whatever you want to call it. If, nowadays you go and get a misdemeanor, like DUI, you know, whatever a guy was just driving drunk and you hook him up. That's your shift. Unless yeah. you're a good, unless you're, cause the paperwork is so like ridiculous nowadays. Oh, yeah. Unless you, unless you are um, um, a motor or you work these DUIs constantly and you basically have it rubber stamped and just, put in what you saw and then everything else is the same you know it, you could be done in and out maybe with booking three hours oh wow you know you know it was changing a little bit by the time i uh left patrol and went to detectives but um it, it was kind of funny when you trained at firestone one of the rules was you had to be in and out of the station in 15 minutes with a booking <laughs> if you had 
Oh wow! And, yeah. and I mean, you it was or you were milking time. it. Yeah, it was. You double timed everything, and and the thing was, we all we had all two man cars down there, and um, so you know your your book man, the passenger, would be filling out the booking slip on the way in. You know, hey, what's your name? What's your address? You know, and I mean, if he had ID, he's filling that out. But by the time he hits the back door, that that booking slip, at least the first nine lines should be complete, you know, and then fill out a couple more things, get him to sign it, roll his prints. Back then we rolled, you know, prints on, you had yeah. ink, ink pad mm-hmm. and, and, and paper cards and you rolled the prints and, and, uh, um, while you I'm were so doing that, while, do while that. one person yeah. was booking the body, the other person would go and, 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 uh, uh, get the arrest approved by the watch commander if it's a felony, the watch sergeant if it's a misdemeanor, but You'd be in and out in 15, 20 minutes, back out in your car, and then your partner's driving around, you guys are handling calls, or he's looking for someone else to arrest while the bookman is writing that report. We didn't sit in the station and write our reports. And on real real busy nights, you might not get much report writing done because you're just constantly going from one hot call to another. Well, you were writing so, a pencil then, right? It would, yeah, number two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, like, yeah. I, I, was, I, it, I at least did not have to manually write reports. So we could type them on the MDCs in the car, um, and you know oh, you're fancy, yeah. But nobody so, did. Everybody went to the station, and they would be out at the station for report writing from like three in the morning to four, five in the morning, you know, because so, you could. So yeah. So, so oh, go for go it. Ahead. Go ahead, Chuck. I was gonna say. So for us, like, <clears throat> we would um, handwrite some easy ones, you know, in the car, because depending on who the watch commander was. <laughs> Right. they wouldn't allow you in the station right uh but the, for the sheriff's department and I, i'm assuming it was the same as it is still now that when you bring a body in if there's any excess property the jailer um or the you know, detention officer whoever you you have there at the station would do all of the excess property and stuff like that so you don't have to do it so you can clean your hands of it and get back out in the in the streets and and, and do that for other agencies you have to the officers because there is no do's or you know jailers at any of the stations or um main areas unless you go to an actual jail facility and then you have jailers or detention officers you would actually have to fill out all of the excess property tag it uh number itemize it do a separate report just for that and then once that's complete and you have all your booking sheets done, it's like nine pages. You're like talking about one page. There's agencies out there that you have like six, six pages. You know, if there's excess property, you know, the bail schedule, um, you know, you got the booking approval, you have all this other excess stuff. You yeah. know, sometimes you could end up with like four pages, three pages, six yeah. pages, depending yeah. on how much crap there is. And then it's you got to take all that bag it and then take your body and take it somewhere else it's just crazy. Yeah. I, I think For, the sheriff's department has it streamlined to a point and other agencies that I've been on ride alongs with and, and talked to and dealt with, they have it so streamlined to where you can basically have the comments of your call now input it and thrown into basic report. That way, when you get there, you're done in and out in an hour. With the do, body gone. We would do our, because we had a booking sheet from County jail that we'd have to fill out. Right. That, to, to, so County jail would take them because we were a city agency. So we, took their forms from County Joe. We'd had them available in our cars. So if I, if I had an easy one, you know, if it wasn't a complicated arrest, he just needed to go to jail. I on the trunk of my car with him in the back, I'd spend two minutes filling out the PC statement on the, and all his horsepower for the sheriff's department. 
And then I'd call the watch commander and be like, am I clear to go? And they'd be like, yep. And so I would literally just get in my car and drive straight to County. It was about a 25 minute drive. And I'd book in myself a County. And as soon as they blessed the PC statement, and as soon as that dude was searched and turned over to the deputies, I was out and headed back to the city because they didn't, they didn't want us to dick around with booking people. So a, a booking would be an hour, but you'd literally be 25 minutes driving to jail, 25 minutes driving back and 10 minutes booking. Them. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. When I was, when I was getting out of patrol, they had just started the probable cause declaration and there was yeah. a couple other, I don't even remember now, but a couple other forms. It's like, it seemed like just every few months, some, uh, we call them house fairies, you know, the, the people that work downtown and make yeah. the decisions. You know, they'd come up with something new that we had to do, some new policy procedure or whatever. And I remember uh, that that as I was leaving patrol thinking, yeah, that shit's just getting, they're getting out of control with this. And, and I'd just gone to detectives and I'd been there about two months when, uh, you know, I brought someone in for something. I don't remember what, but I throw him in the booking cage and he's in there and he's on the phone right away. And I say, dude, not till I get your your stuff filled out because yeah, I need you to come over here and talk to me. And, and, and he basically tells me to FO. And so I yelled jailer gate, which, you know, that's what you did when you needed to go in the booking cage. And I yeah. went in there and snatched him off the phone, you know, by the scruff of his neck and dragged him over to the fricking, you know, table there where I needed <laughs> him to stand until I was done booking right. him. And I get done and he goes back to the phone and we're both happy. You know, he's, yeah. you know, let me deal. remind you which end of the leash you are on. Yeah, right. well, I turned, I turned and started to walk back toward the detective. You're on the and the watch sergeant, whose office was right across from the booking cage. He says, uh, "Hey, Smith." And I stopped and I, yeah, what's up, Dave? He says, uh, "I'm gonna need a use of force report." <laughs> and I looked at him. I said, "You're gonna need what?" He said, "Use of force report." I said, "You've got to be shitting me." He says, "No." He says, "You you put your hands on that inmate, so I need a use of force." And I'm like, okay, all right. And and, <laughs> the and that was, was on the wall. That was well, that's what I'm telling you. I mean, that was like ninety one the end of ninety one, I think, mm -hmm. is when I went to detectives. And it was uh well, it was not long after Rodney King, the Rodney King incident, and everything just changed and and mm -hmm. I hadn't really wanted to go to Detective Bureau originally because I love patrol, but the writing was on the wall, and when the detective sergeant asked me to put in, and he says, you know, you need to come back to DB, um, I realized he's right. I, it's my time on the streets is over. As much as I love working them, uh, the game changed too much, and I, I didn't want – it was time to move on for me. So, Yeah, I, I – you have those moments. And, look, patrol is definitely a young man's game for sure. Yeah. But oh, you man. can stay in it for a – for a good long time if you know how to play the game right however there does come a point where you know your skills might be better served elsewhere and your mental health and well-being might be better served elsewhere also when patrol changes and the younger guys are able to adapt more to what's happening on the street and sometimes the the salty guys are like oh are you fucking kidding me if somebody says that to me i'm gonna stick my foot up his ass right <laughs> and you you realize that if you do stick your foot up his ass you'll end up in federal prison yeah yeah no i can you know what's funny is you're talking about how that you know you you the guy wasn't listening you you grabbed him and you drug him over placed him down and sat him down so you could answer questions to get him off the phone because he wasn't listening <clears throat> there's agencies out there now that even 
regardless of what, because a lot of bo- agencies have body cams now, regardless of what your body worn shows or your body cam, whatever you want to call it, as long as there is complaint of pain, you are now having to write use of force reports on a use of Dang, force that never occurred. It. And you're like, you placed handcuffs on them, but then you have to go by the numbers and you have to like damn near itemize every fucking move you did while putting handcuffs on him up until the point where he said there was a complaint of pain. And then you have to, and it basically has to jive with whatever is shown on video. And you're like, even though the video is demonstrably false, you know, there is no use of force. Use the, there's policies now at agencies where you still have to write it. You have to spend now, you know, another two hours writing this, going over everything. And now you're having supervisors get involved in your report. And now there's all this oversight for nothing that happened just because someone wants to mess with you on a complaint of pain. And people are too stupid to realize, and by people, I mean, politicians, you know, primarily, they're too stupid to realize that, that the streets don't change. I mean, they adapt, they become, they become more aggressive because they realize that the more and more we restrict police from doing their job, the more brazen the bad guy gets. And, and we can all see it now. I mean, these guys, the it's it's not even illegal to freaking punch a cop in some cities now. So do you think that more people are going to punch a cop? Well, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, if the DA is not going to charge someone for, for hitting a cop, then then it's a freaking, uh, it's a freebie, man. I mean, yeah. you know, it's open, it's season. open season on cops. And so now, you know, the, the politicians, they're crying about use of force or whatever, deadly force. They've just ramped it up to where cops now are having to escalate the force because they've got more aggressive combatants. And I'll be honest, in the 80s and, and early 90s, when I worked down south of L.A., um, you know, those streets had been, I mean, it was a very violent community, but those streets had been tamed by very aggressive cops over the years to where, you know, you you could pull over a car and, I mean, the gangsters all had their hands out before you even got to the trunk. You know, they knew the rules. And, and unless unless you caught them actually committing a crime, unless there was something that was going to send them back to prison, 95% of the time, those those guys who were very dangerous and bad men would cooperate with the cops because they knew the rules. Right. You know, and they'd tell you flat out, you know, uh, yeah, you don't, don't run from Firestone, you know. <laughs> Because if you run, inevitably, you're probably going to get force used on you at the end of that pursuit. Right. And, and that you're going to inevitably fight at the end when you're caught. Right. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, it was it was a different time. And, you know, it's, it's right now it's tough. It's, it's I, it would be tough to be a cop today. Well, here's what I want to I want to point out to people who maybe don't understand in law enforcement is so you have you have a couple of options and this goes back to our episode if you want to go back to listen to our debrief of rodney king with my old man but um you know when you tell cops okay you cannot beat the shit out of this guy and you go what and you go you cannot beat the shit out of this guy and they go what do you mean and you go look if you use physical force if you have to get into a physical fight you can't punch him you can't kick it you can't do any of that stuff because it just looks terrible on camera and it, you just you're just gonna get you, you know it's gonna be cops brutalize another bad guy you go, well, what am I supposed to do? Well, what's the other option? Shoot him. Right. Yeah. If you take away a cop's ability to just use actual brute force to get compliance, you have then taser or pepper spray or your gun. That's it. I mean, yeah. 
You I've been preaching that a ton. <laughs> I've been preaching that since <laughs> since Rodney happened because, you know, one of the things I said is, look, they'd taken away all of the tools from LAPD. I mean, back when Rodney got his ass kicked, which he didn't even get his ass kicked that bad, you know, but but when that happened, it looked awful. And the reason oh, yeah. it looked awful is because the cops weren't allowed to jump in there and just choke the asshole out. Right. And and I, I always said, I said, if that was the sheriff's hand pulled over and it was on videotape, it looked like a cartoon, you know, like this cloud of dust, and all these arms and legs sticking out. And it'd be like 20 seconds later, the cloud dust be over and this guy be in handcuffs and he'd be bloody. Yep. And it would be over. It It wouldn't look near as bad because, you know, the images of that, that, that use of force it just i mean it looked like it just looked awful it didn't look good i have to admit that no it It didn't didn't look good no but i also know that 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 was the only thing that they could do and and everything they did was within policy and their use of force policy at that time but it looked terrible to the people who were watching you know the fights are ugly yeah well a lot of those baton strikes were missing and hitting the ground so you see them swinging batons but they're missing so they continue to swing the batons and then you're like oh my god they're hitting right. him so many times but you see the batons bouncing off the ground and you're like fuck it's, it's yeah, not there's a lot, not a lot more to that than people understand yeah. um i would yeah. ask bad guys after that you know i'd be, be taking someone to jail that was kind of you know talkative and cool you know not not too pissed off about going to jail I'm like, hey, man, what'd you think of Rodney King? You know, and I'll tell you, at least a half a dozen times I'd have a guy go, shit, man, Firestone, he's lucky Firestone getting in, get his ass. Or mm-hmm. my daddy would have beat my ass worse than that. He didn't get yeah. shit. And they were you know, pissed off. <laughs> but it, it, was a, it was at a time in this country where it was, you know, things were just starting to be caught on videotape yeah. and be, be make the news. And, oh, yeah. and, and unfortunately, a lot of suburban people were shook when oh my gosh yeah. is that what police have to do yes sometimes sometimes yeah. it's un- and it's ugly and we don't like it but i mean you know we we, we enjoy the g- it's kind of like if you go back to watch you know shows where they depict the criminal organization's code where the if you're in the game you're fair game but if you're out you're an innocent you're by you know we recognize that you know there was a code it's the same kind of a thing it was like you know if the police have to come and get you they're gonna bring an ass whooping with them and right. you're gonna have deserved it right you know i i can i compare it to actually and i won't take credit for it a good good buddy of mine old partner uh i call him sonny and i'll leave it at that but but mm-hmm. he used to one of his analogies was hey this is this is basically what happened during the rodney king and, and post rodney king time era for cops is essentially what happened in the vietnam war suddenly people who had no business knowing how ugly war was had it brought to them in their living rooms right and they right. were repelled and and it's the same thing with police work police work is is oftentimes not a pretty thing but, you know, now everyone gets to see everything. LAPD puts, I'm sure you know this, they put every single officer-involved shooting from yeah. the body cam on freaking YouTube. Yeah, and, smart. And, and yeah. I wish I wish the cops would get together and, and file a class action suit because, number one, I'm sure that, that it endangers their lives and their families' lives because they put the officer's name and everything about them, their pictures on there. And not to mention... What about the stress of that? I mean, reliving these shooting incidents, these traumatic incidents, it, it wears on you. And to know that, that it's out there on YouTube, that, that the whole world's watching the shooting you were involved in, maybe you killed a man. 
are you kidding me that's that's how you're gonna treat your officers there's no need for it they're just trying to appease the public and it's bullshit well and that's the thing from the from LAPD's perspective it's smart right it's smart to have this channel where they can just put it all out there and say look we didn't do anything wrong but you're right it's the same you go back to the onion field and you go back to what happened to poor Carl Hettinger and for those of you don't know I'll give you a brief summary Two LAPD officers taken hostage, one of them murdered, the other one escaped, right? Unfortunately, the one who escaped gave up his gun during the altercation with the suspects. LAPD made him go to every station and every roll call, relive this horrible experience, and tell all the other cops, don't do what I did. Yeah. And And then couldn't figure out why he became an alcoholic and ended up a a kleptomaniac working store security. You know what's crazy is that you used to – get brought on and I, and I have this this talk with me myself and and um when i was coming on is hit fast hit hard put him down quick end of story it looks a lot better you're right. done then yeah. all of a sudden body body cameras came out and you hit them fast you hit them hard even though you're saying the same thing in a report they're like oh my god you had to do that you got into an actual fight and it looks they look down upon it and then they don't look down upon the you know, five minute long scuffle where you're pulling this suspect back and forth and he's fighting and he's beating the shit out of officers. And finally you dogpile them onto the ground and you hook them up and it looks like shit. Officers are getting hurt. Officers are going out injured, you know, workers comp claims are going out to fucking wazoo. And you're like, man, this is going to get officers hurt. I really hope the pendulums comes and swings back and actually has officers back. And you say, Hey, put them down, put them fast, quick, you know, less minimize the injury to yourself and to the suspect because you're going to sit there and dance with this guy. You're going to get hurt. Other officers are going to get hurt. That's where you get even hurt because it could lead to a deadly force situation where a shooting happens because you run out of all your options when you can just come up. He's like, fuck you. I'm not going to go. He balls up his fist, gets into a fighting stance. Boom. You punch him in the face. You take him down. You do a leg sweep, whatever. You know, he tries to grab your, your belt or whatever. And you punch him a couple of times on the ground, put him into a wrist lock or an arm lock. Next thing you know, he's hooked up, but he's bleeding all over the fucking place. That's a lot better for officers than than it is dancing with these these suspects over and over, allowing all these shots to happen. You know, shots why I mean like punches and stuff like that to the face. Um, officers getting injured, they're twisting their knees, they're twisting their legs, they're fucking up their shoulders. You know, it, it's crazy. And at one point, there was um, word brought out: don't punch people in the face anymore. Use use a palm strike. And you're like, okay, I can see a palm strike working for longevity. But if you're in an all-out fight, fuck a palm strike, learn how to punch and punch this dude square in the fucking face or utilize a great takedown and, you know, bend some fucking uh, joint manipulation, you know, some pain compliance, maybe use a lock. And if he keeps fighting and the shit gets popped and dislocated, oh, well, but you can't just keep dancing around. You're going to see and you can look on YouTube and there's so many um, incidences where you see coppers dancing with these suspects and cops are getting hurt and they're put in really bad scenarios and next thing you know a shooting happens or the shooting kiss should have happened a long time ago and you put all these citizens at danger and, and then you have a shitty background and you get into a shooting and it doesn't look good and it's very dangerous luckily some of them go really well and you know things are okay you know but it could go the opposite way and then the liability is put onto the agency because of their weak stance on use of forces when it comes to officer safety and, you know, suspect safety, because if you dance and do all this other stuff and all this time, you know, time kills and time can going to screw you. You have to hit hard, hit fast, put down quick. No, you got to end it soon. You got to end you it. You're going to get less injured. But Danny, you bring up a good point. 
when you put those videos on there, you're right. There, there is, it seems that there is no consideration for the fact that these officers are going to relive these moments. And it's uh, the worst moment of their life, arguably, in many, many, many cases. And and yet it's just out there and, and everybody's reporting on it. And, everybody, and it, it, people just take for granted that it, it's, you know, oh, it's fine. No, it's got a very, very, no, very it. tough psychological effect yeah. on these people because they're human fucking beings. Right. Well, yeah. you know what? I mean, it's almost like internet bullying, you know, and social media bullying. But, I mean, obviously it's different than that. But what I'm saying is that, you know, like when I was raising my daughters and, and, and you know, social media was coming about and everything, one of the things that I recognized right away and put a stop to was this total access because they'd be home, they wouldn't be at school, and home was no longer a safe place because the people that, that were shitty to them at school would come right through their phones or their computers and, and be with them at home. So all of a sudden you'd be having a nice evening and, and then someone just freaking did a 180 and they're grumpy, they're mad, they're pissed off, they're upset. And you realize, well, that's because someone just reached you when you're in your home. So I know yeah. it's a little bit of a stress, but it's the same thing. It's like, okay, yeah. so, so the cop, now he can't even be at peace when he goes home because you know what? He goes to church on Sunday and, and, and he's there to, to do whatever. And he's with his family and, you know, someone... As you guys know, civilians are the worst. They they never consider that we don't want to talk about certain things, especially with other with civilians. But which you know, is why this go, podcast exists, <laughs> right? And they'll walk up, they'll walk up, and and you know, ask you, uh, "Hey, I saw your your shooting on television." You know, I mean, they don't even think that no. that 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 would put you in such. I mean, it, it knocks you off kilter. It puts you in a dark place. All of a sudden. You know, I mean, some people, you're, it's almost like a panic attack because now all of a sudden you've, you're reliving yep. this thing. You're trying to, to, you're off duty. You're with your family, and someone mentions it. I, it's just, I think it's terrible. I, I really well, do. I can, I, I can see their, 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 their logic in it is to be transparent. But you know what? I, I think it's overdone. I really do. And, and yeah. maybe in the most controversial shootings where their officer is 100% clean and they want to tell the public kill here's the video then i could see doing that but you and i both know the public at least the ones that are going to go out and burn a car they don't give a shit anyway so yeah well and yeah, yeah it's what 12 people that weren't smart enough to get out of jury duty <laughs> yeah oh that's what we used to call them. anyway i lost well, a federal lawsuit so trust oh, me I, i'm very very aware of that yeah yeah well well, Danny, we appreciate you coming on. Why don't you tell us about your latest book? Because you said you've written novels, but uh, yeah. the, the book it looks like you got next to you and is your memoir. And, and why don't you tell us a little bit about that, where, where everybody can get it, and what's what's that about? Yeah, uh, all my books are available on Amazon or directly through me. Uh, my website is murdermemo.com. But um, uh, the novels are all detective novels, and uh, it's a series and uh, it's been wildly popular, and it kind of kind of was one of those deals where I was actually started writing because my shrink said, "Hey, it'd be therapeutic, and you're a good writer." So I right. started writing, and, um, and and that's the you know the detective novels are, are are pretty cool, and they're fun, and they're funny, and they're they're also heavy at times. But it took me a long time to write my memoir, and I, I kind of felt like I needed to, and I, I just I put it off and put it off, and and uh, and I finally wrote it over the last year and a half or so and, and published it in September. And, uh, and I couldn't have written it back in 04 when I retired. There's no way I, I could have written it the first 10 years. And even now, 18 years later, um, you know, it brought everything back talking about, you know, what cops go through. I, 
all of a sudden now I start having nightmares again and I, I start finding myself getting into a dark hole here and there. And in the book, you know, you can, I encourage all your listeners, go on Amazon, you can read the first couple chapters free. And, um, and, and most people, I think if they read the first chapter, they're going to go, I got to find out what the fuck happened to this guy. Because right. the first chapter starts with my last day at work. And, uh, and it was a heavy day. And, and then the next chapter goes back to the freaking LA riots, but it's the, the book has, um, my career in a nutshell, um, a lot of the highlights, a lot of the cases, uh, uh, a pretty big section on, on my seven years at homicide. And, um, and it, and it clearly demonstrates what cops go through and it, uh, it, it will leave no doubt in anyone's mind. There's not a cop on earth, well, at least not in our country, who would read it and not be able to relate to it. There's going right. to be a lot of parts of that book that people are going to go, oh, yeah, man. Oh, yeah. Right. And, uh, and, 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 and the thing is, is that I tell the truth in there. I, I, I talk about how it broke me. And I know a lot of other cops that never admitted it. And, yeah. um, and some of those dear friends of mine, that's ended very tragically. So I I felt compelled to write it and to tell the truth and to not be all macho and shit because the bottom line is when I left the sheriff's department after 21 years in the fast lane, because I never had a slow assignment, um, I I was broken, you know, and, and, uh, and I was embarrassed when I left. I was embarrassed that, that I, I was done working and, and, uh, I was heartbroken too. I mean, it was, it was like losing a loved one, um, like the death of a loved one. And it was, it was really tragic. So, uh, you know, I think one of the one of the one of the reviewers, uh, Book Life Review, I think it was, wrote in there that there's an undercurrent of despair, and I'd say, yeah, that's that's true. It's there probably it true, but it's a great I, yeah. it's a great book with a lot of war stories, <laughs> a lot of interesting cases, homicide cases. And it's uh, called cases. Nothing Left to Prove. Nothing Left to Prove by Danny R. By Smith. Danny Smith. Okay, um, and you can get that on Amazon. I think people should go or MurderMemo.com. Is that that's your website? Mm-hmm. Yep, MurderMemo.com, DickieFloydNovels.com. Uh, that's the the brand of it's my your, my novels, okay. Dickie Floyd okay. novels. That's your uh, Lucas Davenport. That's your yeah, that's your Alex Cross. <laughs> yeah, that's my better than Bush. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll well, tell you now, this. That's that's what we need to do. We get you get you got to get you a series. Yeah, well, the problem is, is I'm not politically correct, and I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of the authors now have gone very politically correct. So yeah, that's my problem too. Is uh, I, I'm not very politically correct either, and uh, <laughs> no one's ever uh, well, accused me of it ever. No, 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 and I actually I despise it. In a, I I think language is a beautiful art form. I think words are a wonderful thing, and I think they have specific meanings. And I think if you're not a fucking grown up and you can't handle them, then you need to go back to the playpen and sit this one out. <laughs> let's just i would drink to that like. but i drain this son of a bitch and bring a <laughs> well damn it we should have taken a break and let you pour it damn that's funny that's okay i'm looking forward to one when we finish here well danny we we uh we certainly always give our guests an opportunity to dedicate their episodes to whomever they would like and i uh i know you ran this bias and i'm all on board so so the dedication is is yours please go ahead mm-hmm yeah, you know, I gave a lot of thought to it, guys, and and um, and I'll be real honest. I, I've had uh, several, well, more than several. I, I've had quite a few friends killed in the line of duty, and um, and I've had a, a lot of friends also who have died as a result of their service in law enforcement. 
um, in different ways. Suicide, guys drinking themselves to death, cancer, uh, different things. So there's there's so much sacrifice that, you know, when you asked me about that, I thought there's there's no way I could just pick one person to dedicate a show to and in their memory or anything else. So I thought, you know, here's here's the thing, and I mentioned it earlier, police work today is harder than it's ever been. And, and those officers out there, the men and women who are serving our communities today, they've got a much harder job than I had. And, and I applaud them. I praise them. And, and I would say I'd rather dedicate the show to all of the law enforcement officers out there today. They have my respect and my support and my prayers. God bless them. Well, and I loved that. And I, I second that. And, uh, yeah. to all you sheepdogs out there. And I know for a fact, we've got guys right now in their car on graveyard shift and they're out there freezing their ass off in the dead of winter, you know, looking for looking hunting. Like you said, they're out being predators on the street, looking for that, you know, broken taillight or that green twinkie in a bag full of marshmallows that wait for these episodes to drop and listen to this as they're driving around. So if you're in your car and you're listening to this right now from all of us at war stories, we want to dedicate this episode to you guys. So yeah, thank you, Danny. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks, there's so guys, many, man, I enjoyed it. Yeah. You're welcome. And there's so many people out there that need to hear that message and give them that extra bit of confidence that there are people out there that support them and yep. that they are doing the Lord's work and going out there and crushing crime as best as their ability that their city allows and their politicians allow, but they're out there putting their lives online for fucking strangers and they need to hear that. And I thank you. And that's, that's a, uh, that's a powerful message to send out. So. Yep. Thank you, man. Well, Danny, thank it. you. And uh, I, for our audience, um, they can still get our t-shirts and our, our Wooby hoodies on our website. There's uh, some sizes still available. Unfortunately for the listener that was asking about smaller sizes, we, we just, there was a limited quantity of those and they went fast. So next time Chuck and I will learn to make a couple extra smaller sizes for the smaller listeners. Um, but until our next episode, come home with your shield or on it.